Scripture reading this morning will come from Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. If you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bibles, that'd be on uh, page 1001. 1001. Romans 3, 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're our guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It is an encouraging time to think about uh, the two weeks that lie before us, but even the two months that, that we have of various things planned. Do continue to be involved and prayerful in every way that God gives you the ability and the opportunity to, to do so. Just to echo two things as a reminder. If you're going door knocking, as JP said, be sure and be here this evening at 5 o'clock. This session this evening at 5 is not how to teach the Bible studies. It's about how to do the door knocking, and and that's very important. So we hope everybody that's participating in that will be here. And then also, keep in mind, beginning next Sunday, we'll begin a gospel meeting Sunday through Wednesday. And so we hope that everybody that's a member of this congregation will plan to be a part of that meeting to be a part of uh, in, in attendance, to encourage one another, to be here to welcome guests and to reach out and, and to show them the, the love that God has for us and that we have for them. And so be making your plans. Uh, go ahead and mark your calendar for Sunday through Wednesday in that. <coughs> Excuse me. It is so easy to lose focus, isn't it? I heard a, a story the other day, read a story the other day. I really doubt it's true, but I couldn't help but think, Wow, that, that could almost be true. It said that the government had a salvage yard out in the middle of the desert. And so they decided we want to make sure nobody steals our garbage. So they hired a night watchman. But as they hired the night watchman, someone in Congress said, well, wait a minute. We need to make sure that the night watchman knows what to do. So they created a planning position. It really took two employees. One was going to write the instructions and another was going to do time studies. But then, once they set that in order, they said, well, we have to know whether or not uh, the quality of this job, if it's being done, so we need to have a quality control department. So they hired two more people, one to do the studies and another to write the reports pertaining to quality control. And then they said, well, if we have this many employees, we're going to have to have payroll. And so they, they hired someone else to be a timekeeper and someone else to be a payroll officer. And then they said, well, if we're going to have a staff this size, we've got to have administration. So they hired someone to be administrative officer, someone to be assistant administrative officer, and someone to be a legal secretary. Well, things went pretty well the first year, but at the end of the first year, with evaluations and audits, they found out that they were slightly over budget. And so they all agreed that the solution was, let's lay off the night watchman. You know, as, as humorous as that is... You know, sometimes we probably are guilty of very similar things where we're real clear at the beginning what our focus is 
And we are determined to make sure that we, we stay on track, but then as time goes by and additions are, are brought into our lives and other opportunities are brought into our lives and other relationships are brought into our lives, and before long, the very thing that should be the focus of our life, we find ourselves making decisions to say, we're going to have to shift this over a little bit. And before long, we say, we're just going to have to shift this completely out of the way. And isn't it wonderful to be a part of a congregation that has leadership, has elders that are continually reminding us, hey, this is the main thing. It's our Lord, the Savior, and souls among us. That's the main thing. And isn't it wonderful to have a focus brought to us, especially this summer, to say, we're not going to forget the main thing. We want to be about the main thing year-round. But here at home, for the next few weeks... When an entire congregation focuses and prays and gives their energy and their effort, what could be done? I like the little quote of Lily Tomlin. She says, I always wanted to be somebody, but now I realize I should have been more specific. When you think about what is it that you want, do you realize that you and I aren't really going to accidentally make a difference in someone's soul? You and I are not going to casually serve the Lord and fulfill all that He has planned for us to be. And so this morning, we think about a very important word, focus. When we think about focus, we think about the one campaign because the word one makes us focus. We're not talking about two or three things and spread your mind and your your attitude uh, out. The one campaign is about will you focus on one town? Will you focus on one problem? Will you focus on one solution? You know, when we go back to the beginning of the church, we see that the beginning of the church was all about focus. Do you remember back in Acts, the first chapter in verse 4? Jesus was about to send into heaven. He gave the great commission. But in this setting that he's given the great commission, he's telling his disciples here in verse 4, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Now, why did he tell them to wait there? Because in verse 8, he's going to say to them that you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, think about that. The church could have began in many different ways. God chose the right and the best way for the church to begin. Did he take 12 apostles and spread them across 12 cities? No. Did he take 120 disciples and spread them across 120 cities? No. What did he do? The Lord said to the apostles, I know you're from Galilee, but we've got a focused plan. And our focus is going to be on one town for a while. And that one town is going to be Jerusalem. So I know you're going to be tempted to go back home once I ascend into heaven, but I want you to wait and focus on Jerusalem. And what happened? Well, we've studied several times these past Sundays about what happens through the book of Acts. There's tremendous growth. But as we think about that tremendous growth, you remember Acts the 6th chapter? If you have your Bible, turn there to Acts the 6th chapter. You remember our first meeting of Philip? Philip was a man who had a keen ability to focus on one town. And his town that he focused on in the beginning, of course, was Jerusalem. 
the widows of the Hellenistic background, the Greek culture were being neglected of their daily distribution of food. And so in the third verse, they're told in Acts the sixth chapter, the brethren are told to seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. And so they do that. And in verse five, we see that the first one is listed is that they chose Stephen. Remember in the following verses, he's going to become a preacher and he's going to become the first Christian martyr. But then notice the next man, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit and Philip. Philip was a man who focused on his work. Lord, what do you want me to do? Right now in Jerusalem, I want you to focus on helping the widows in Jerusalem. All right, he was willing to do that. But then we go to Acts the 8th chapter, and you remember this is when Saul comes on the scene of the early church as a persecutor. In Acts the 8th chapter, look at verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Note verse 4, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to Samaria. Now on your map, that'd be north, but elevation, it would be down. He went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Here's a man now that he was very focused on doing the Lord's work in Jerusalem. When, when persecution scattered him and the other Christians there in Jerusalem, notice that wonderful description in verse 4 again. They were scattered, but they went everywhere preaching the word. This reminds me of the Great Commission in Mark the, 15th, in Mark the 16th chapter in verse 15. You remember where he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? One has said that you could accurately translate this, as you go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Now that's a slight alteration in the wording, but it really gives us a powerful application. Think about this. When you and I have a vision that says we're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel, it's kind of like missing the tree because of the forest. This morning, if, if I were to ask you as a congregation, how many of you pray about mission work? I would think all of us do. If say, how many of you really want souls to be reached? Surely all of us do. But you know, when we start thinking about a vast world of six billion people, it's easy for us to think about something in such a broad sense that we miss the focus at home. Let me ask you something. Where do you live? None of us in here can say, I live in El Salvador. No one here can say, I live in Ukraine. No one can say, I live in Sudan. The past nine mission points that we've been on in the past nine years, none of us can say, that's my home. Those previous stateside mission points. Friends, I'm not belittling or taking any emphasis off the fact that we must do mission work and we need to have a vision to reach as many in the world as we can. But note this point. We cannot do that and then think that that exemplifies us from our responsibility to preach the gospel where we live. Friends, where's your world? Your world isn't Sudan. Your world isn't Ukraine. Your world isn't El Salvador. Your world isn't up in Missouri or, or over in Georgia. Your world is Mount Juliet, Tennessee. Now the question is, as you go through your world... Will you take the good news of Jesus with you? Again, I emphasize, we're not all teachers. We're not all preachers. So how are you going to take the good news with you? Take it using the ability you have, the ability God has given you 
to serve people, to show them Christ's love, and to lend an invitation. Everybody here can be prayerful. Everybody here can pick up one of our publications if if you didn't receive yours in the mail or if you want to grab extra, as JP has already mentioned, you can get those. And within those, you can make invitations to the series that's coming up on Sunday mornings, 30 Days to Live. With those, you can give invitations to the gospel meeting. With those, you can give invitation to the Revelation Seminar. So many people have questions about Revelation. That's coming up in just a month. Everybody, mark your calendars for July the 10th, the 11th, and 12th. It's Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Two hours Friday, two hours Saturday. And then Sunday morning worship and Bible class. Mark your calendars for those things. But everybody can lend an invitation. Why would we do that? Because that's our world. This is where we live. Our focus is on this one town. But you know what? Even one town is a lot of people. When we think about our goal to knock all of the homes inside Mount Julius City Limits, we're looking at at least around 10,000 homes. That's not people, 10,000 homes. Well, that becomes almost like a forest. Can you see the soul? You have to love Philip. Lord, what do you want me to do in Jerusalem? I want you to serve tables. All right, Lord, I'll serve tables. Lord, we're going to have to scatter because of persecution, but I'll tell you what I'll do, Lord. I'll take the gospel with me, and I'm going to go up here to Samaria. Now think, if you know much about the the New Testament, you know at this time for a Jew to be reaching out to Samaritans, that was quite an adventure of courage and faith for him. But yet, that's what he does. And then we read deeper in Acts, the 8th chapter. Look down there in verse 26 and 7. He was told by God to go into the desert of Gaza and meet a man. And in verse 30, Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said to him, do you understand what you're reading? And notice his answer. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Here's a man who had a focus. He was able to see souls, not just an entire town, but he was able to see souls. One town, but within that town, there's a soul looking for the Lord. Do you know when we door knock, that's really all we're doing, is we are looking for the people that are already looking for the Lord. I say that's all we're doing. Let me rephrase that. That's directly what we're doing. Indirectly what we're doing is we're also planting seeds so that if that person today is not looking, they have no interest in learning about the Lord, I believe that almost everybody has a window in time in their life where they do have questions about spirituality and they would like to know more about the Lord. We want to plant a seed at every door that if you have any desire to learn more, we invite you to visit with us in the future. Maybe next month it'll be, maybe next year, maybe next decade, but we hope that those seeds will come into fruition. But why are we there? We're there looking for the ones who are searching. The ones who are searching right now. You see, the best statistics say that friendship evangelism is far more effective. So as we go out, 100 to 200 of us go to doors this week and next week. That's wonderful to do. But each of you going to your friends and taking a publication and giving an invitation will be even more effective. So let's come from both standpoints. Let's do our part. Let's be like Philip. Because how many people do you read in the book of Acts that become Christians without someone teaching them? None. Everybody in the book of Acts had someone to help them learn about Jesus. What does this bring us to? This brings us to verse 40. Look at 40. After he was baptized into Christ, he comes out of the water in 39 rejoicing. A difference has been made in his eternity. And 40, but Philip was found as 
Azatos, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Now flip very quickly in your Bible to 21st chapter. Now Philip has made his way preaching as he goes to Caesarea. What does he do in Caesarea? This is 20 years after we see him preaching, or we see him as one of the seven that was waiting the tables in Jerusalem. 20 years after, let's read what we see him doing in verse 8 of the 21st chapter. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with them. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. 20 years later, where is he? He's there at the same town that he moved to after he left Jerusalem. What's he doing? He's still doing the Lord's work. He's still an evangelist. He's still focused on the work. Here is a man that wherever he went, Philip, what's your town? My town is Jerusalem. I'm going to do the Lord's work. Philip, where's your town? Well, I had to leave Jerusalem. Persecution was pretty tough there. I had to go to Samaria, to a city there. That's my town now. Oh, but then I was called by the Lord to go down and to meet a very wealthy man from Ethiopia. He became my focus then. And then one city at a time until I made it to Caesarea. And what did I do in Caesarea? Philip would say, I focused on that one town for decades. What a powerful story. You see, the reality is, as Phil Wagner challenged us back a few Sunday nights ago out of Mark, the fifth chapter and verse 19, we studied about Legion, the man that the demons were cast out of him. And you remember, he was so impressed with what Jesus did for him. He said, I want to go with you. And he tried to follow Jesus back onto the boat. And, and Jesus turned him away and he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. Friends, sometimes the easiest thing for us to do is to lift our focus and say, we want to do things out there. We want to do things out there. And the Lord is saying, whoa, I want you to do things where you are now. Have you ever heard people do that talk about, well, if I won a million dollar sweepstakes or if I won a lottery of five million dollars, have you ever noticed they always talk about how much they give away? You ever notice? I want to tell you something. The Lord isn't concerned at all what you'd do with a million dollars if you had it. What he wants to know is what you'd do with the dollars you have in your pocket right now. The Lord isn't at all concerned about what you would say if, if I could reach the entire world tomorrow, this is how I would reach. You're not going to reach the entire world tomorrow. Read from the beginning of the church. The beginning of the church was individuals focusing on one town, one town, one town, one town. Do you realize the masses around the world have never been brought to Christ at one time by one individual or one congregation? And so the Lord doesn't want to know what you would do if you could reach all of Africa at one time. You're living in a fairy tale world if you're thinking like that. What does the Lord want to know? Lord wants to know what you'll do in the world you live in right now. In the world you're in, it's so pleasant to think about if I could go. If I could go. Legion wanted to go and the Lord said stay. Paul, he left F in Timothy behind in Ephesus. Notice there in that same screen there on 1 Timothy, the first chapter in verse 3. As I urged you, Paul is speaking to Timothy, when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul, what'd you do? Paul says, you know, 
I kind of had to urge him. You, I read into that that Timothy's saying, Paul, I enjoy traveling with you. Well, no, I, I really would like you to stay in Ephesus. No, Paul, I love traveling. Paul, we've had some great times together. I've already seen Ephesus. I've been here for a while. Hey, if you're traveling, I want to travel. And finally, Paul says, Timothy, we're doing the Lord's work here. It's not just what we want. It's what the Lord needs. I urge you, stay here and help these people. Paul's having to get out of town. The persecution has grown so so severe against Paul, he can't stay any longer. But apparently it's not as severe for other Christians there. And so he's urging, look, I know you want to go. I'm telling you, stay behind. Friends, this morning, I believe I'm talking to a congregation full of people that says, that's what I believe. That's what I want to practice. I don't want you to think that I'm preaching this lesson this morning because I think here at my Juliet we have a serious problem with this. I just want us to see the message of God's Word. What God wants to know is will you focus on the world you live in? Will you focus on the town where you live? And that's not to take anything away from the opportunities we have to take mission trips abroad. That doesn't take away from the times that we have to invest money abroad. But none of those things excuse us from the world we live in. Because the world we live in has one problem. And that one problem in Romans 3 and 23 is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's go to this next screen. And as we think about this one problem, I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you willing to admit this one truth? Everyone is lost eternally without Christ as their Savior. That fuels our motive. Our motive is we want to save souls. We want to lift the Savior up. The fuel for that motive ought to be, you know what, everybody I know that doesn't have Christ as their Savior is lost. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody on your street that doesn't have Christ for Savior is lost. Friends, everybody that we call neighbors in this town is lost without Christ as their Savior. And so then the question is, what am I willing to do about it? I want to ask you, will you see one? Will you see one town, but in that one town, will you look for that one person? When we're door knocking... If you've never done door knocking before, I know maybe it's easy to paint a picture of, hey, we're just, we're just canvassing a lot of doors. We're, we're really, that's not our attitude. Our attitude is we're knocking on this door, literally hoping and praying this is one that may be looking. Every door we're going to, we're looking for one. You know, several years ago, there was a preacher who moved into an area of Iowa and he couldn't find many that were interested in Christianity. So he put an ad in a newspaper. He was from Sioux Center, Iowa. And the ad simply read, Know Your Bible, capitalized letters. Underneath that capitalized letters read, Bible Correspondence Course, Non-Denominational. And there was a woman that lived about 45 minutes from him. She had been very religious, but she wanted to learn more of the Bible. And so she wrote him. And she enrolled in a course. And she took that course. She took a second course. 
He finally, at the end of that, said, I don't have a third course to offer you, but I'd love to drive over and study with you and anybody in your family that has interest. And she said, please do come over and let's study. She had several children. The two older children also were part of this learning. Later, they came to know Jesus as the Savior. They repented of their sins. They confessed and they were baptized into Christ in order to be saved. And they began making a long drive to have the opportunity to worship every Sunday. And you know, over the years, her other children were also baptized into Christ. Later on, even her husband was baptized into Christ. As a matter of fact, several of the children, as they would date others, she would sit down and study with their boyfriends and girlfriends. And several of them were baptized into Christ, and since they broke up with her children but they went on to marry and also convert their spouses, and now there's Christian families that are also a direct result of a preacher moving into Iowa and saying, I'm just looking. I'm looking for some souls. And he found one. Well, that wasn't very successful, was it? (laughs) He found one. No, today, as you see a picture here of her nine children and their spouses, and you'll notice Mitch Poscovich in the middle of that picture. And any of us that have been a part of campaigns know the many individuals that Mitch has brought to Christ through his studies that really goes back in a history of faith to his mother that responded to a correspondence course of one individual. And then when you look at the next screen, you see all of her grandchildren And when you count only the children and the grandchildren that have already obeyed the gospel, not the ones that will become old enough in the future, and you count only the spouses that were not Christians and their mother studied with them and they became Christians, just in those two generations, there's over 23 Christians that have been brought to the Lord. And that doesn't count all of the others that have been brought to the Lord by the two ministers, the deacons, and the teachers that are part of this family. Friends, the Lord has always wanted us to do one thing. And that is to always keep our eyes open for one soul. One town. You and I individually are looking for one soul. Because God can take care of the increase. God can multiply the opportunities. All we must do is we must take the one solution. There in Romans, the third chapter, did you notice there in 24 and 25, the solution. The solution was that we can be, in verse 24, justified and redeemed by Christ Jesus. One town. We have one problem. Sin separates us from God. But we have one solution. It's Jesus Christ. And when we have one congregation made up of hundreds where everybody is just searching for one, what a powerful, powerful opportunity God is giving us. Friends, JP's worked hard. The Basses have worked hard. And we could list several others that have already worked numerous, countless hours on various aspects of this campaign. 
Many of you have already committed to many hours this week and next week. We're not saying any of that to pat anybody on the back to say, let's praise people. We're simply saying the momentum is building. God is already at work. Let's make sure that every one of us does our part to focus. This week, what can you move out of your agenda so that you'll have more time to pray and to work and to focus. Next week, what can you move out of your agenda so you can say for these two weeks, I want to focus. And we're about to sing a song of invitation for you to focus on your spiritual life. Are you saved? If you've never been baptized into Christ, why not this morning? What a wonderful, wonderful event for any of us to be able to say today, Jesus Christ became my Savior. If he's been your savior, but you've left him and you want to come back to him. He teaches us that that's what causes the the angels in heaven and even God himself to rejoice. We would rejoice too. If we can help you any way this morning comes, we stand as we sing.